Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hi, I'm Sarit Becker. And I'm Itamas Rulovich. We both together have the restaurant Honey & Co. in London, as well as Honey & Smoke and Honey and & Spice. And we've just written our third cookbook, Honey & Co. at Home. Which is about what we eat at home, what we cook at home. You were born in Israel, grew up in Israel, and met your husband, Itamar, by mistake in a restaurant kitchen. Tell me about that. Um, I'd actually trained in London and then moved to Israel and was working and had no intentions on being romantically involved with everyone. I was very... Um, with anyone. With anyone. Yeah. What did I say? With everyone. With everyone. <laughs> Definitely not with everyone. <laughs> I was not intent on getting romantically involved with everyone or anyone at all. I was very career focused and very minded. And I had this plan about how I was going to run a kitchen, a Michelin star kitchen by the time I was 30. And relationships were not part of that plan. But then I worked in this kitchen and this guy came in and he was extremely annoying at the beginning. Mm. And we became really good friends first. No. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you might not think it was good friends, but we became good friends first. And then somehow kind of things happened and we ended up getting married and it, it wasn't the plan at all. So this cookbook is very home cook friendly. You even divide up the chapters in an interesting way, beginning with For Us Too, then moving on to For Friends. Describe yeah. how you organize this cookbook. Well, we, we had a lot of debates about how to go about it. We we had we knew what recipes we want to put in because we knew what we cook at home and what we thought we'd want to share, uh, but we didn't know quite how to slice it up. And we felt that the regular divide of kind of starter, main, dessert just doesn't work because nobody really eats like this at home, do, do, do they? Like, do we? No, you're you, right. You don't have like, you know, unless you have like very fancy guests, you wouldn't have like starters, mains and desserts. You would just like have whatever you're having. Uh, also, sometimes you just want like a snack or you want to nibble on the sofa or you just want something that kind of is in your freezer. You know, my my kind of favorite thing is cookies that are just in the freezer that you can slice a few off and bake. So we started to, to play around with this idea of what do we cook for when? What What recipes actually... How do they appear in our lives? And this made the most sense to us because there are things really that it's, we just eat when it's the two of us and these kind of staples that we cook for dinners if friends come. And, and that was a natural way to divide the book. In the For the Weekend section, you have recipes like honey and spice cookies, fig and feta peed, Jerusalem sesame bread. So what sorts of dishes do you like to make on the weekend? Well, I think the, the weekend is kind of I think you don't really, you know, the kind of weekday cooking is you just want to get some food on the table. You don't want to be too involved, but you do sometimes want to kind of geek out and really take on a kitchen project. And baking, I find, is something that you do more on the weekend than in the week. So there's a lot of these things, like especially the, the baking recipes that you kind of take time and enjoy the process and you know also that you can kind of go back to and nibble a bit at different times of day if that makes sense or like if we make a, a kind of a big loaf of aubergine bread then you slice a bit and you eat it but then you know later in the afternoon you can have another slice it's like it's very approachable in its 
in the way you can eat it, but takes a bit more time to prepare. So one of the things you always wanted to do was travel and taste all kinds of foods you couldn't get in Israel. How did you land in London in 2004? The, you'll be sensing a theme here. We didn't plan to, <laughs> to stay in London for, for a long time. We just thought that we'll come for a couple of months. Yeah, the you idea know. was to move on uh, and do all of Europe because I had the English passport. And once we had married, meant Itamar could work all over the Euro- European Union. We thought we would do London for like four to six months and then go to France and then do Spain and then maybe um, Italy. Or... Yeah, and, and that was the plan. And we really believed that was what we were going to do. But it it's quite hard to settle in London. It takes time to get apartments, to get proper jobs. to And actually, we loved it. And we didn't feel that we were ready to, to leave it yet. And yeah, so it kind of happened that... It was a year, then it was two years, but we do a lot of traveling. We just do it as a holiday rather than um, than working. And we try and go to as many different places as we can and taste as much food as we can everywhere. It's kind of like living in New York City. I came here and I was like, I'm just going to live here two years. It's really expensive. And then I've been here for like 20 years now. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's so it, funny. It's really strange. Like these big cities, they suck you in. And also there's like always another part of the city that you don't know. Discover. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's different cuisines in the city and you can, you can travel like an hour and be in a completely different place. And that kind of never stops in London. We, we still don't feel like we know it all. So it's been 15 years. Yeah. But I think we very much are in love with London now. I don't think that we'd be able to live anywhere else. Would you? I don't think so. The first step in your food journey was realizing that the food of your homeland was pretty terrific and you didn't have to look west. Talk a little bit about that. We, we had a very clear line drawn between the food that we like to eat and cook at home and the food that we cook for work. We, we were very much looking to cook Italian food or French food or European food. And we didn't quite even think about serving the Middle Eastern food that we love so much as a you know, in a professional capacity. So when we started realizing, and this is, you know, something that London is very good at taking on different traditions and, you know, celebrating them. When we arrived to London, we start, we suddenly started to see that, yeah, this is actually just delicious food and people want to eat it. And, you know, we certainly want to eat and cook it. So why the hell not? Isn't it interesting that Israeli food wasn't a thing 10 years ago? It completely wasn't, though, you know, it really was just what we had at home. And, you know, we would sometimes go in London, there's a few restaurants that do beautiful Lebanese food or um, and we would go to that as like a reminiscent thing. But they're not very popular. They weren't very popular in London at the time. It was kind of like an obscure thing to go um, and eat this food. Yeah, it, it had a complete shift in, in people's understanding and in people's relationship to the to the kind of cuisine, but it's good. It's good that people know more about it now. Sarit, for you, growing up meant chopped salads at every meal, like a condiment almost. Yeah. When making a chopped salad, if you get good cucumbers, you're halfway there. Talk about the difference in flavor between a good cucumber and an okay <laughs> cucumber. Oh my God, how long have you got? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, the, <laughs> it's like the biggest subject. You know, we still, when we go back home or if we go to, to Jordan or anything like that, we come back with suitcases full of cucumbers. I mean, it's ridiculous. But the the there's something about the crisp. First of all, small cucumbers. 
which they keep a sweetness and a freshness and a real kind of crispiness to them, is just something we don't get in the UK. The ones in the UK come in, uh, you know, singles and plastic bags, you know, individually individually shrink-wrapped. They're huge. They're full of water and seeds. And they just don't have that crispiness. It's almost like somewhere between a marrow or zucchini and a, and a cucumber. It's not what we call cucumbers. So kind of for us, everything is about those tiny kind of fingerling ones, thin, crisp, hardly any seeds, very little juice. Very sweet. Yeah. They make, it just makes a huge difference to a salad. But it's true what she said. Like if one of us would go like either back home to Israel or if we travel, we would we would come back with like three four kilos of cucumbers like fresh green ones in the suitcase, and this is you know how you you bring like when you travel you bring candy to work, so we just bring cucumbers <laughs> and place them in the kitchen. Everyone just digs in. But they do dig in. Like people love them. You know. Is there anything we should look for at the grocery store when we're buying cucumbers? Can you like visually see it? If if you can find ones that still have the tiny yellow flower attached and it's still yellow. That's the best thing because it means they're so recently picked that that flower hasn't had a chance to to wilt and, and die because they can. They can keep, keep quite well in the fridge for a while. And what happens in the supermarkets is you never, you know, get to see that produce that still has those tiny little yellow flowers. And if you do, that's the freshest you can find. Yeah. You, but and, you, you, they want to be like really, really tight and taut. Like they shouldn't have any give when you press them. And yeah, that's kind of what I look for. And they should be kind of nice and unblemished, if possible. And quite light as well. Yeah. Because the water, like that heaviness that comes from water, they should kind of, you know, be very, very light to toss. One recipe in the cookbook that I wasn't familiar with was shata. Yeah. Um, Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Can you describe this and what do you put it on? Oh, well, it's just what don't you put it on? Yeah, but it's kind of our version of, I suppose, any any kind of chili sauce that you would get, like a sriracha or anything like that. It's a fermented uh, fermented chili, salted, leave it to kind of semi-pickle, semi-spice. It it kind of makes it spicier but mellower as well, I can't explain, because it it loses that... um, The harsh. The harsh bite on your tongue. Um, and it's just delicious. It just on anything that you want to add a bit of spice to, that's a thing to add. Yeah. And we always, you know, like, um, this is something that you'd make in the summer when you get like loads of, uh, fresh chilies, then the excess, you just chop it up and put it in salt and leave it. And that would be kind of your condiment for the winter. But you can do like whenever you have extra chilies or even, you know, red peppers, you can make yourself a little nice little condiment what is one recipe in this cookbook that immediately takes you back home potato and feta fritters yeah i was thinking that as well (laughs) for both of you well it's just because it's different (laughs) things it is but you know what like because we have this uh, you know in hanukkah in the jewish tradition you fry a whole load of things yeah (laughs) it's just like I don't know how you could have a holiday that just celebrates frying lots of food, but it just is. And I'm not a massive donut fan, but fried potatoes with a bit of honey on that I can, you know, that I can definitely prescribe. So it comes from this kind of culture of uh, of latkes and kind of onions and potatoes fried. But then if you just add a bit of feta for salt and a bit of honey on top, it's just the nicest thing. Tell me about Honey and Co, Honey and Smoke and Honey and Spice. Honey and Co is the first one. It's the you baby. Know, yeah, it's the baby. 
it is the baby. Uh, and it's tiny. It's very, very small. And uh, it's, what is it, 10 tables. So it's, it's uh, 25. Yeah, 25 people. Um, it's very intimate and it's very kind of home cooking of the Middle East. So, yeah, stews and uh, slow cooked meats and meatballs and, you know, salads. salads. It's very, very kind of comforting food. And then Honey and Smoke is a big restaurant. It's a proper grill house. And it's kind of inspired by the grill houses and kebab shops of the Middle East that we love. And this is, uh, you know, very big, very buzzy. The food is very robust everything's on the grill uh lots of meze beautiful bread and sweets and honey and spice is uh deli really we always say that it's the most the most fun because it we just can sell everything that we want you know beautiful tahini that we get from lebanon and olive oil that we get from israel and from spain and from greece and we get uh we make loads of jam to sell there and cookies and biscuits and breads and crackers and and cookbooks. But also we buy like these amazing knives that are handmade and we buy pots and pans that we like. And so it's like our fantasy shop of everything we would want to have in our kitchen, but we don't really have space because we have a London flat. So it's all kind of in the deli. <laughs> and these are all in London proper, all three of these? Yeah. They're all five minutes walk from each other. So it's really funny. But we always wanted to be able to be in all of them all the time. And the only way to do that um, is to make them walking distance. So they're less than five minutes walk from each other. Last night, I made your tuna dip with broccoli, potato and eggs on page 70. And Did I'm you like so, it? Oh, gosh. You know what? This dip is perfect for a quick weeknight meal. Yes. Yeah. It was exactly actually filling. <laughs> This is when we forget we have people coming or if it's just the two of us and we're, you know, running back from from work. And really, in, the one thing that you're guaranteed to find in a London supermarket is uh, broccoli and potatoes and yeah. some eggs. And we always have good tin tuna because it's one of our favorite things. And it's just so quick to make. It's from everything that you have at home with whatever vegetables are in season as well, because it's great in, in summer when you have like all the produce just eating anything with that tuna dip is delicious. I'm interested to hear about the Portuguese deli in Brixton that served this dish. Oh, uh, they're it's sadly closed. Yeah, you know? they're closed. You know, this is. Uh, I know it's a big deal here in the states. Uh, gentrification. Yeah. Certainly, it is in London, but in a slightly different way, though I feel it is. But it definitely kind of fell victim to gentrification uh, that deli because it was there for years, and we, you know, I used to go to it first time I lived in London more than twenty years ago, and we started going there uh, together because we lived just around the corner. But yeah, t- you know, it used to be the place where you get the best, uh, the best tuna and the best um, kind of cured Spanish meats and stuff like that, but. Sadly, no more. Yeah, but and also, you know, it wasn't fancy because now, now you think about these kind of European delis, you know, and th- th- we do have a beautiful Spanish one, but it's so expensive that it's like a special treat. But there you can just go and buy like some, you know, some decent ham and, you know, good tuna and stuff like that. For not, it, didn't, it wasn't a special occasion. It was just very good everyday produce. Yeah, mm-hmm. I miss that. No, it doesn't and there were really. such nice people as well. They were always so nice to you. Yeah, that's happening everywhere in New York City. It's really sad. Yeah. It, it is because, you know, these kind of local places where you know it's just a family and this is their 
kind of food and they try and keep the prices reasonable and everything like that instead of just marking everything up in a huge way. You know, it, it made all this kind of food accessible. And where we live is kind of little Portugal in uh, in London, if that, you know, that area where a lot of the Portuguese community lives. And there's still some other delis around, but this specific one that we would go to all the time is... Yeah, that was the best one. Now to my new segment this season called My Favorite Cookbook. Aside from this cookbook, what is your all-time favorite cookbook and oh. why? Wow, this is like uh, an impossibility, isn't it, to ask those questions? Mm. I mean, I think, can can you choose them by like times in your life? Because different times call for different things, don't they? I think you need to give us at least three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's two of us, so maybe we can. We, we wow. Live with like we live with something like, you know, over a thousand cookbooks at home. I think we have cookbooks everywhere, like literally everywhere. Like when we when we were we were in the west coast in the summer, on the kind of bit of the book tour, and we just I think we came back with so many cookbooks. So yeah, it's giving a, a new definition to the term book tour. Yeah, book tour. <laughs> we're buying all the books. Um, Let's see. Can I tell you, can I, I'm going to say which one is my favorite now, right now. Okay. Two favorite, my two favorite. You can't choose two already. No, I said three. No, but what about me? Okay. So you (laughs) Okay, you each get one. Yeah, we each get one and then (laughs) there's a bonus. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay, you start. Well, there's a book that kind of really got me into this career, or let's say, cemented my existence in the career in the first place, which is called Nico's, which uh, was the first British chef to get uh, three Michelin star. Um, And he writes this great book. He was self-taught ex-banker, I think, or insurance broker or something completely unexpected. Um, And he taught himself how to become a chef because he loved food so much. And his restaurant at the time when I started to become a chef was seminal in bringing London into into food. It was just so inspiring for me. The food is amazing and it's it's probably slightly dated now, but it, it was the reason I kind of got so passionate about this kind of fine dining, which is not the food I cook nowadays and I will never probably do it again because I don't feel that way about it now. But the book in itself was a huge part in, in my career. It's very English, you know, and because he was of a time in England and kind of that first really proper fine dining restaurant. And yeah, it's an amazing book. And he writes so great. He did not give a hoot about anything. He was rude. To, he was one of these chefs that would ask customers to leave if they didn't appreciate his food. And, <laughs> you know, he was kind of crazy. And the first one he opened was in South London in a really bad neighborhood. I think it burned down. Like it was really kind of you know, a big thing at the time. And for, for me, that whole story was, was inspiring. Uh, mine, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I love all cookbooks, really. But uh, I think my current favorites, I'm going to split it between two new American purchases that we like one new American purchase, which is the Slanted Door cookbook from San Francisco. And that is Vietnamese food which I started cooking from, and it's so nice. The food is so nice. And the other one that I love is the Squirrel Cookbook. It's really good. And they have really a restaurant, good. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, we could talk about cookbooks yeah. really forever. I know, me too. <laughs> well, that's, that's why I have this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so where can we find you on the web and social media? Uh, everything's at Honey & Co. 
honeyandco.co.uk uh, is our um, our website and then on Instagram we're Honey and Co uh, or you can find Honey and Smoke Restaurant or Honey and Spice Deli and then there's what's the other one? In uh, Twitter it's also just at Honey and Co A-N-D and the podcast is wherever you get your podcasts that's um, Honey and Co the, the food, food talks. talks in Honey and Co at home you wrote life is complex but cooking is easy and something good is guaranteed to happen if you just follow the recipe I love that thank you so much for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast it's thanks a pleasure so thanks for having, for having us. us subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.